jump in here. Revelation 21. We're going to start reading on verse 1. The verses will be on the screens. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. One of the seven angels who had seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates and with twelve angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. The angel measured the wall using human measurement, and it was 144 cubits thick. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Let's pause there this morning, this evening, excuse me. 
Some of you took a nap, so it is kind of like morning, right, for you? Yeah, I tied a bow on that. Guys, what's being conveyed here? What is this image? What is John seeing in generalities? Well, at first, in the, in the first verse, we see that the old earth, the first earth, and the first heavens have passed away, and there's a new heavens and a new earth. And then in verse 2, he sees the holy city, he sees Jerusalem descending from heaven, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Now in the New Testament, and in chapter 19, it is the church, it is the people of God, it's you and I and everyone else who calls on the name of the Lord who is called the bride of Christ. So is this a place or a people? Well, it's both what John is describing. It's a people who are in a place, and it's a place that reflects the people that reside in it. Various descriptions are given, but what is being conveyed in this promised city for those who are to inherit it? I want to take a look at three themes that I draw out as I, as I read Revelation 21, because there's all these different descriptions that are given, and it weaves this way and that way. So I want to draw out three themes of what I believe is being conveyed in this image of this promised heavenly city. First of all, I believe the vision of the heavenly city conveys to us a picture of total security. Total security. This is demonstrated in a variety of ways in the passage. For one, you know, I heard the sadness, I heard the weeping when you heard in verse 1 that there was no longer any sea. You're saying, what in the world is heaven without an ocean? We live in Huntington Beach. Some of you are of the age now where you're starting to pay rent. You pay a premium for that rent because you love the ocean. Austin, you know, one of his first questions at the Tuesday teaching team, is there surf in heaven? Based on this verse. But, you know, we're missing the metaphor. We're missing the symbol here because the sea is a metaphor in the ancient world for a place of evil, a place of chaos, the abode of the dead. It's the place from which the beast in Revelation emerges. So in the heavenly city, that source of chaos and evil is said to be no more. The same message is made in there being no night, as it says in verse 23. Night in the ancient world is a time of blindness, a time of vulnerability to beasts, wild beasts, and to assault and to attack. It's a time of cold. You know, even now, when I get up very early to sermon prep here at this warehouse, this very unlit warehouse at 5 a.m., I can tell you when I come in in the dark, I'm a little bit more cognizant of my surroundings. I'm a little bit more aware of what is going on and who is around me. But in the heavenly city, there is no more night. There is no more vulnerability because the glory of God is the city's light. And Jesus, the lamb, is its lamp. In these descriptions, we see the total security of the city it's not like there's a sea and there's a night, but there's land that's holding back the sea and there's moonlight that's pushing back the nighttime. No, it's more than just like security because I think that word even falls a bit short. Security implies that you're being protected from something. You're safe from something, a threat. But in heaven, there is no threat. 
There's no need for even being protected anymore because nothing is going to come against you. All is awash in the wholeness of God's presence. The same is communicated in the measuring of the city walls. They are massive, 12,000 stadia in length and width and height. That's 1,400 to 1,500 miles long and wide and high. That's how high the walls are. Now, in the ancient world, the walls that surrounded your city, they protected you from invading forces from the outside. Now, think about the size of the walls here. The largest building in the entire world is in Dubai, and it's a little bit over half a mile high. And we're talking about walls that are over 200 feet thick and 1,500 miles high. That's how towering they are. And yet for how high they are, a wall built to protect is no use if a gate is open. And here we have 12 gates, three facing north, south, east, and west. Gates that verse 25 says will never be shut, meaning even though the walls are so high, there exists no threat of invasion. It's like living in a place where your car is left open, your door is unlocked, your front door is open, like you just have no concern whatsoever for anyone coming in and taking anything. The gates are always open. I've tried this experiment a few times in Huntington Beach over the last 12, 13 years, not intentionally, but I've tried this experiment where I leave my car unlocked and I have lost numerous computers, numerous backpacks, uh, you know, family heirlooms in my backpacks. I've lost, I think this is my second or third iPad. But in the heavenly city, there is a sense of total security. Now think of the sweetness of this promise for the early believers and for John himself, who'd been kicked out of the earthly cities and set upon a distant island in exile. You know, he could say alongside Jesus what Jesus said, that foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man... The son of God has nowhere to lay his head. He said, in this world, I have no place. I have no home. That's what John could say about himself. But there is a place, a place of perfect security reserved for those who had had their property confiscated. For those who have been told they couldn't do business and were forced into poverty. For those who have been dragged into the streets and murdered before the public watching eyes. Simply because of their faith and trust and faithfulness to their confession of Jesus as Lord. They will have a place, a home of rest and security. I want you guys to think for a moment. What's the time in your life where you felt most relaxed? where you felt most at ease. I don't just mean like in your circumstances, like on a piece of paper, everything was going great. Like you actually felt in your being like you were resting, like you were at ease, your most relaxed time. I know it's like already stressful leaving just to try to think of that time. I'll tell you, in my life, I've only had a handful of massages, all right? It's not something I can afford regularly. It's not something I have the time for. A few of them I walked away from feeling like I just got out of a UFC match. I don't know why I paid for it. You know, the first one I ever had was a woman named Kimba, and she looked like a UFC fighter, and it felt like I got beat up in a UFC match. But 
There was one time I was at a nice hotel in Hawaii and I went to their perfect gym and had a great workout and then I had a massage and then I went into the sauna and the steam room. I don't know how many of you love a sauna and a steam room. I've got Nordic roots. That's what we do up in the Nordic countries, the sauna and the steam room. I think it's in my blood somewhere. But let me just tell you, like, that was the ultimate state of relaxation I've ever experienced in my life, where it was like I was awake, but at the same time, I was almost like asleep. Like When you're in that state, you can just feel yourself so relaxed. Your breathing is different. Your breathing is deeper and more satisfying than it's ever been. Now, I think that's the common experience in the place that Jesus has prepared for us. In that city, in its walls and beyond them is no threat, no need for fear, no more racing hearts, no more anxiety, no more mind running, no more stress, no more sensational headlines in the news, no more weapons, no more wars, because there is no need for them and there is no need, period, It says the old order of things has passed away. No more pain, no more crying, no more mourning, no more death. Death has died and pain has breathed its last. It's no wonder that when we see what John sees, we see a picture of a heavenly city filled with total security. But even more than that, we see one also of absolute beauty It says in verse 2, the city came down dressed like a bride, beautifully for their husband. Pastor Brock reminded us on Tuesday, every Tuesday we get together, we read the text together as a staff team. Anyone who wants to be involved, we reflect on it. Everyone shares some thoughts. And Pastor Brock reminded me of how like special and holy and set apart that moment is on your wedding day when the bride is coming down the aisle. I mean, you may have seen your bride a hundred times. Uh, hundreds of times. Uh, you know, I know there's some folks with some shotgun weddings in her church, so maybe you'd only seen them 10 times before you saw them come down the aisle. But even if you've seen them hundreds of times, God bless you for the variety of stories. I love it. I love the diversity of stories here. I'd seen my wife a hundred times, but when I saw her as a bride, beautifully dressed, that was a different moment. That was a set apart moment. It was a different moment. And even if you've never been married, you know what it's like when you're in a wedding. When you're in the audience, what does everyone do when she begins to walk down the aisle? Everyone looks to her. And then everyone looks at who? The guy. To see his reaction to his bride coming down the aisle. And my wife now hates how she looked on her wedding day. But I still believe She was beautiful then, and she's beautiful now. I actually have a photo of her wedding day. That's it right there. You know, I can tell the demographic's a little younger in here because in the morning service, there was an audible, aww. At night, you guys are like, whatever. (laughs) Let me tell you something. I had to dig so deep for that photo. I worked for hours to get that. I had to reactivate Facebook that I haven't logged into for four years to find a photo from our wedding, and that's from someone's phone with a bad filter from 12 years ago. Because all of our photos are on a CD, and I have no way to get them off of a CD anymore. It's like having a VHS tape. 
you know, that's, that's how out of touch I really am at this point. But my wife was beautiful on that day, and I don't need to see the photos to picture her again in the beauty of that day. And so the heavenly city is presented as a beautiful bride for her husband. Verse 10, it's perched on a mountain great and high. Verse 11, shining with the glory of God. It's brilliance like that of a very precious jewel. In fact, it's 12 foundations on the wall are made of 12 various jewels. The gates each are made with a single pearl. This is like Eden is described. In Ezekiel chapter 28, God is talking about Israel. In verse 13, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you. Carnelian, chrysolite, and emerald, topaz, onyx, and jasper, and on. This is like the high priest's breastplate was adorned with these 12 jewels, which symbolized the 12 tribes of Israel, the brilliance of God's people, and all these different things, from the experience of Eden to the breastplate the priest would wear to the experience of the heavenly city. It's a sensory, captivating experience to behold the material beauty. It's not like you just acknowledge it with your mind. Oh yeah, look at all these jewels. It's something that captures your attention. It's something that's supposed to move you to see that material beauty. Like, I don't know if you've ever heard like somebody's getting engaged and so, oh, you got engaged? And so the next thing you have to ask is, Oh, what, let me see the ring. You know, it's just something that's just assumed. This is the normal way you communicate after somebody gets engaged. And, you know, I'm not a guy that's that into rings. I'm not really that interested. I mean, I will totally ask you. I would love to see it if you get engaged. But when, when you ask, like, there's times where you're like, oh, and then you're like, whoa. Like some of the rings that I'm, uh, I'm going to be honest with you, my wife, I did my best. But it's not one of those where you go, whoa. I gave all my money. I emptied my bank account and put some on a credit card, and I still don't get, whoa. But I can tell you there are some rings that I've seen in Orange County where you look at it and just like, I'm not into rings. I'm not into precious gems. But when you see that gem, it captures your attention. You know, it's the same effect that you, you have upon you when you see like beautiful things in nature. I'm thinking about the rains and the snow that has hit this year. When I'm driving over the bridge from Huntington to Costa Mesa over the riverbed and you just have that open view of the mountain ranges surrounding Orange County and they're blanketed with snow like I've never seen in the 12, 13 years that I've lived here. Those moments that capture you, that are stunning, that are sensational, that move you are just a distant echo of the impression and awe of the beauty of the heavenly city. Now, these most beautiful and eye-catching and trancing materials rare in this earth are so abundant in heaven that they're just the building materials, the basic building blocks of the city. Now, I've done some construction projects. I've built a few patio covers in the last couple of years, three to be exact. And on the other side of COVID and inflation, lumber prices went through the roof. And my first patio cover, I was able to build with cedar, Oh, it's a, it's a fine, it's a fine piece of lumber, cedar. But after COVID and inflation, I got to go to the bottom level. I got to get Doug Fur. Ah, oh, Doug Fur. All you guys are like, I don't care. But it's important to me 
because cedar is like 10 times lighter and easier to work with. It's so much more rot resistant. It's going to last so much longer. But let me tell you, in my house, I spared every expense. I spared every expense. I did everything as cheap as humanly possible. Now in heaven, no expense was spared. Even the foundation stones are built with rubies. They're built with these valuable treasures. It's God building every square inch of the new creation as beauty from the world's ashes. Because it's not that God doesn't value material beauty. That could be one thing that you're struck with when you read, you know, Jesus's teachings in the gospels and you look at some of the values of the scriptures, you could walk away and think, oh, God doesn't value material beauty. He values material beauty. He created all of it. It's a display of his creative work in what he has made. What he hates is what we've done with all of it. He hates how evil people have hoarded that wealth to their own destruction. But in heaven, the finest wealth, the inheritance and share of God, it's going to be shared by all God's people. Think of the streets. In the vision of the two witnesses earlier in the book of Revelation, you've got the representatives of the church that are dragged out into the street by the beast and the whole public, the watching world, gloats around their murder there in the middle of the street. But in heaven... The streets are going to be made of what my ring is made of. This material, gold, so pure, so brilliant, it's going to be like glass that is invisible. That's how pristine and pure the pavement of heaven will be beneath the feet of God's people. It's an indescribable gift of beauty. But it pales in comparison to the final gift, the final thing conveyed about this heavenly city. In it, in this picture, Revelation 21, we see that the heavenly city is a place of oneness. It's a picture of oneness with God. This bride that is in the city was beautifully dressed. The bride that is the city, rather, was beautifully dressed for her husband. There's someone who's going to receive her, and her husband is the Lord, is God himself, this is a picture of God and his people coming together. It's the whole people of God. That's why the 12 tribes of Israel are written on the walls of the city. And then on the foundation stones are the 12 apostles. Their names are written. This is the whole people of God throughout all of human history. The true Israel, the true people of God receiving the heavenly Jerusalem. They're receiving the promise that was spoken of over the 144,000 symbolic for all the people of God through time that were sealed with the Holy Spirit. They were the multitude, the nations, the people of every tribe and language that had come out of the great tribulation of this world. And they were given this promise in Revelation chapter 7, verse 15. They are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. We are the inheritors of this promise of oneness with God in this heavenly Jerusalem.
That's why in verse 22, John sees that there is no temple in the city. The city is like the inner sanctum of the temple. When you look at the measurements of it, you've got these walls, right? 1,500 miles long and wide and high. It's not just a square. It's cubic, the city. It's not just wide and long. It's also high, cubic. There's another structure in the Old Testament that was built like a cube. It's the Holy of Holies in the Old Testament temple. That was the place of God's manifest presence where he lived. Now God dwells with his people in a city that functions like the Holy of Holies, and the rest of the heavens, the rest of the earth, the rest of all the creation is like the extension of the temple complex. We will exist there with him and his emanating glory, but that does not mean he resides in some way beyond arm's reach. Rather, we are always within his arm's reach. For twice in this book is given the promise that God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Now, if you are taken to a time as a child, maybe when your parents wiped away your tears, I'm certainly taken to my role as a parent and the countless times I've gotten down on my knees, I've looked my kids in the face, we're face to face, we're eye to eye, and I've got my hands upon their cheeks and I'm wiping away their tears. There's a day coming when God will place his hands on our faces and he will wipe away the tears as we release the pain of this world and as we release that overwhelming joy. That is the promise that awaits us of oneness for he promises to be our God and keep us his children forevermore in verse 7. You know, there's several things that I want us to walk away from this study with. The first is a little bit of a sobering thought. The promise of the heavenly Jerusalem is for those in the book of life. I need to remind you of that. You may be captured for the promise that's described here of total security, of beauty, of oneness with God, but it is only those whose names are in the book of life that will receive this promise. For in verse 27, it says, only they are able to enter into the city. There's a reminder here that the cowardly, those who ran away from their confession of Christ, it says the unbelieving, those who didn't trust in God, they trusted only in themselves and what they could see. The vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who are driven by their desire to be gratified physically, those who deceived others and worshiped false religions and false gods, and all liars who played along with the system of the world, giving tribute to Caesar, serving the beast through time just to get ahead in this world, they are consigned to the lake of fire. We learned that in our study last week, that all the dead are going to be raised and books are going to be opened that recount our lives. And these individuals, what are they remembered for? They're remembered for what they did. And what they did was live a life of sin and they're consigned to the lake of fire. Now, it's not those whose names are written in the book of life are any better than these people. It's just when the books were opened that recorded the deeds and actions of their lives, those whose names were written in the book of life had actions and lives that reflected their belief and trust in Jesus as Savior. 
They are those, we are those as believers who have washed our robes in the blood of the lamb and have been made clean. In every image in Revelation where the people of God are gathered together, they're wearing white robes. It's the white robes of the forgiveness won for us on the cross of Jesus. If you have not received that forgiveness, then there is no security that your name is in the book of life. Place your faith and trust in him, and so realize the promise of this heavenly inheritance. For all of us, whether that's a decision we need to make tonight, or it's a rededication of our souls, we need to remember here from Revelation 21, our ultimate battle in this life is to achieve this inheritance through faith. That's our ultimate battle. In verse 6, God says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. I'm the first and the last. I'm the ultimate. I'm the ultimate. To the one who's victorious, who stands with me, they will inherit. They will receive all this. That's what we're fighting for. You know, when Jesus spoke at the outset of the book of Revelation, in his letters to the seven churches, every single letter ended the same way. Whoever has ears to hear, whoever's listening, and whoever cares what I'm saying, hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give. And then there's a different reward spoken over those seven churches. And all those rewards are fulfilled right here in chapter 21. Anyone who has ears to hear, hear what God is saying. Hear how he's trying to get your attention. Hear how he's trying to wake you up to the true victory that you should be fighting for because the reward is so great. Hear me and receive, live for this inheritance. Now, it's the people of the world when the various plagues hit them in the book of Revelation, they just get duller. They just get more closed off. When destruction comes upon the things of the world, they cling to those things in this ship that's sinking and they go all the way to the bottom of the sea, just holding on for dear life until the end. When the bad things happen, they just use that as more of an excuse to curse God. But for those who have ears to hear, hear what this life is all about, hear what battle you're really fighting for, to preserve your life, your confession, to patiently endure for the name and the way and the word of Jesus. Guys, there is no other victory in life. There is no other goal. There is no other point. Something else to live for. Guys, there is no security that you can win for yourself in this world like what's talked about in Revelation 21. There is no security in this life save for our salvation in the kingdom of God. There's no beauty that compares to the glory that's going to be revealed. Nothing beautiful in this life that compares to the beauty that's going to be revealed at that time. There's no wealth in this world that's worth a dime in heaven. There's no eternal life you can cling to here, save for the one that we receive when we're raised in Christ and freed and protected from the second death. There is nothing to store up except what is stored up for us. Think about it. What is the one thing that is transferred and brought from the first earth to the second earth, from the first creation to the second creation? What's the one thing that's transferred? It's the souls of us who are raised in Christ. That's all we get to transfer. That's all we get to bring through faith and trust in him. 
is the thing that Jesus warned us of in Matthew chapter 16. The one who wants to save their life or who loves their life in this world, they're going to lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What can you give in exchange for your soul? What good is it if you gain the whole world and it sinks like a rock to the bottom of the ocean and you sink with it? If you lose your soul, what is worth your soul? What is worth this? Is there anything that you would say is more valuable than receiving this inheritance forevermore than living again in God's kingdom that you say, you know what, I'm going to pursue that anyway. There is nothing else worth living for. You can't take anything else with you besides your soul. So what are you living for? Do you hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches? To the one who is victorious, they will inherit all this. Finally, the Spirit is also saying this word of encouragement from chapter 21. If you're tired and if you're weary, look to the renewal of all things. Where are you looking? This book is constantly asking us these questions. Where are you looking? Where's your focus? What are you hearing? Are you hearing what God's saying? Are you hearing what's going on in the world? Are you living by faith or are you living by sight? If you live by faith, you can see the plagues, you can see the beast, you see the dragon, you see the battle, you see the victory, you see Jesus when you live by faith. When you live by sight, all you see is pain and chaos and the rule of man. And that's when you are compromising with it. And that's when you feel compromised. Jesus says, don't compromise with the world. Don't feel compromised by it like you're being slighted. I see you. Do you see me? Do you see what I'm up to? Can you see that I'm in complete control? I'm in control of everything that is going on. It's going exactly according to my plan. That's what Revelation says. I am making all things new. Join with me and be renewed. It's the same invitation as in his ministry, Matthew chapter 11. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So are you tired? There's a rest for you that's coming, that's available. Are you thirsty? Are you hungry? Do you have want? Do you have need? He's saying there is a satisfaction that is coming and that is even here in part. And you say, well, how much does it cost me? And he says, it's absolutely free. So many people concerned about the nation, concerned about this earth. There is a new heavens and a new earth that is coming. Are you lonely in the gift, the Bible calls it, of singleness? Your wedding day is on its way. If you're lonely in the gift of singleness in this world, your wedding day is on its way. Are you hurting? Are you having tears and grief? There's a day when we will shed our tears. That is, get rid of our tears because there will be no cause for them any longer. The old order of things will pass away. It will be finished. It will be done. He's given us this hope to look toward in all of our weakness. And this hope that he's given us, it's also our home. This is our true home that awaits us. I want us to receive the blessing of that promise in prayer. Would you pray with me this evening?
And Heavenly Father, I just want to start with praise. Praise that you would invite us into this heavenly city. That you would share your grace with us. That we might feel that total security. That we might experience that beauty. That we might know what it is to be one with you. And Lord, there's a day coming when we won't just experience this by faith, but by sight. But even now, by faith, in our souls, that which you're going to raise, that which is transferred in our new resurrection, even now you've been uniting us with yourself by your Holy Spirit. And the gift of these promises, that security, that beauty, that oneness, that rest, that satisfaction. We don't need to wait. We can enjoy it even now. So Lord, I pray that you'd minister to my brothers and sisters tonight, those who are weary, those who are tired, those who are stressed, those who are grieving, those who are sad, those who are longing. Lord, would you minister to them? Would you build them up? Would you encourage them? those who are lonely. We look to you, Lord, to the victory that you're going to bring. There's no other battle worth fighting for. There's no other point. There's nothing else that we should give our all to. We together are gathered saying, yes, Lord, we hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. We'll join you in your victory. We'll look to our reward. 